Welcome to Messy Closet, the spiritual journey of Generation X. I'm Roseanne Carlo, and here we explore the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and the lessons my friends and I may or may not have learned. Hello and welcome back to this episode. I am coming to you from the Podbean app and today is True Crime Tuesday and although I like to talk about the 70s, 80s and 90s, this particular story takes place in the fall of 2010 and again it takes place in Bronxville, New York in Westchester County. If you go back to the Avon murder, that is another incident that took place in the 90s in Westchester County in the town of Bronxville. But this particular case is about some millennials who got caught up in a really terrible scheme with this man. And if you haven't seen it, you have to check out It's called Stolen Youth, and it is the story of Sarah Lawrence students, and it's on Hulu. So if you have a chance to see this, you get to hear some of the victims in their own words describe the aftermath of what happened, and other people won't ever speak. So this took place at Sarah Lawrence College, which is in Bronxville, which is basically a stone's throw from where I lived as a teenager. And it's a liberal arts college, and they have a saying that is, we are different, so are you, or you are different, so are we. And it gears towards liberal arts. It gears towards, like, poetry and, you know, history and the people who don't quite fit into, let's say, a more loud college, but are more serious and quiet. I don't want to say like introverted, but the town of Bronxville itself is very quaint and quiet and it's really beautiful. So back in maybe 2011 or so, we had heard that there was a parent who was living on the college campus. Now, like I said, this was a stone's throw, so it was never in contention for me to go to school there because I could literally walk to it. And I've actually never been on the campus, but I've seen a lot of the students at my favorite coffee shop, Slave to the Grind, which is just on the main street in Bronxville. And You could walk to it from my house, it's a little further, but you could walk to it from Sarah Lawrence. So the college describes itself as offering a unique, multidisciplinary liberal arts education for an inclusive and intellectually curious community. So, you know, it's got like a vibe to it, but it's not a loud vibe, like These kids are really chill and quiet and they never really do anything that like, you know, I don't know. You've never heard of like bad things coming from Sarah Lawrence College. So when we heard about this, it's, it it was just mind blowing. All right. So what happened is the fall of 2010, eight 
college sophomore students at Sarah Lawrence were going to move in together to, not from the dorms, but there were these little houses. And this building was called Slonem Woods Building 9. So instead of sharing a dorm room with like two or even four people, every person had a single room. Now, it all starts when these kids and their last names are withheld for, you know, their privacy. So, Isabella, Santos, Juliana, Claudia, Gabe, Dan, Max, Raven, who is dating Dan, and Talia. Now, Talia becomes the central character in this whole ordeal. So Talia was actually a little bit older than everyone. So she became like, I don't know, the de facto sort of leader because she had some experience. And one of the things that she did was she always talked about her father. So her father, known as Larry Ray, was born Lawrence Greco from Brooklyn, Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. So at the time that this took place, Larry was about 50 years old. And what happened was he got out of prison. Now, Tali is telling everyone that he was put in prison because of police corruption with this man, Bernard Carrick. And there's a whole story behind Bernard Carrick and how he got to be the corrections officer in charge of everything, all of the corrections. Um, this also has to do with Rudy Giuliani at the time. So there's a whole thing. So because of whatever Larry Ray did, he blamed this man, Bernard Carrick, and he blamed Rudy Giuliani, but we're talking like 20 years later. Now, I, as an Italian, am no fan of Rudy Giuliani, and anybody in New York who's in the know knows that that famous picture of him in the hard hat on 9-11 was not him running towards the buildings, but away. And the next thing you know, he's, you know, on Trump's side, and he's got like that little spray of hair, like running down his face when he's sweating. And then he's at a place called the Four Seasons Landscaping to give a press conference and lost his law license. And, oh my gosh, you know, is being sued. And he was once called America's mayor for his response to 9-11. And he used to be a really good leader, but I believe that the Italians knew not to let him in because, you know, he was going to be the guy who was going to mess everything up. And you could kind of see that he lost it. He lost it, and I think it's the drinking, and it's quite a shame because as an Italian, I don't like to claim him anymore, but he was one of the characters who knew Larry Ray and Bernard Carrick. Now, Larry was actually Bernard Carrick's best man at his wedding, and they had like business ties that went back. I suggest watching the Hulu whole thing. And the first article that I read about it was in the magazine, The Cut. And if you followed anything, The Cut may have come to your attention when Meghan Markle was on the cover. So I knew about The Cut long before it. And People Magazine actually quotes The Cut as a source, which actually has one of the most comprehensive reports on this in The Cut. So they were, I think, the first to report on this. So Here we go. It's 2010. 
it's fall. And now all these kids had finished their first year, their freshman year at Sarah Lawrence. They're moving in to this Sloanham Woods where they're getting a single room. So they're going to be able to be more independent, adult-like, and they're getting to live with friends. So Talia is talking her father up and how amazing he is and how it was police corruption that put him away, which I don't think it was, but that's just, you know, neither here nor there. But what he did was he came and she convinced everyone to be okay with him spending the night on the couch, or he would sleep on the floor in Talia's room. And it became multiple nights a week. But then he was cooking, he was cleaning, he was taking care of everything. He was buying takeout, he was making steaks, he was kind of taking care of everyone. And for some reason, no alarm bells were put off in any of these kids' minds. They all were like, okay with him being there. And what happened was he started to like, I don't know, I want to say brainwash. Like he, he would go on with these presentations and he would talk to the kids all night about things that happened to them. And he would convince all of them that they were essayed at some point in their life or who was schizophrenic or who was, you know, gay and who was, and he was telling these kids what they were. But the thing is at 18, 19 years old, no matter how grown up you want to seem you are, you're really not, you're really lost at that age, especially being in college because you go from what you knew almost your whole life or maybe your whole life, right? The same town, maybe even the same house if you're lucky enough and the same friends. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're in a place where you know absolutely no one and you do feel really lost. And again, these kids were not your typical, like I went to a liberal arts conservatory, but eventually I did actually, I went to a regular college first and it didn't sit well with me. Listen to that time I tried college. Um, it's one of my first episodes, but it's hard to adjust. So I guess having someone to them who was, you know, being a parent to them was appealing. Well, here's the thing. Ray was actually found guilty on 15 federal counts. So he was found guilty of extortion, sex trafficking, and racketeering conspiracy. So he was sentenced to 60 years in prison without parole until the age of 63, but somehow he got out at 50. So what happened was he's talking to these kids and he's convincing them that he can help them. He can diagnose them. He had said that he was in the Marines, which he was, but it was only for 19 days and he was discharged for whatever reason, but he had high connections in the military and he had a lot of connections in the NYPD, the corrections facilities, all of that. So what happened was he's living now on the campus. And then some of the parents had were made aware of this by their kids. So I guess some of the kids felt uncomfortable. And some of the original core group of friends backed away from what became this cult because they had reservations. And I guess they had told their families, their parents, what was going on. 
The parents notified the administration who said that they couldn't do anything because Larry Ray was a parent visiting his daughter and they couldn't stop that. But they didn't understand or didn't care to understand. I don't know. It was a gross failure on these kids because what happened after this was failing to get rid of him meant that he was able to gain a certain amount of trust and also control. So the summer came and none of the kids wanted to go home. They were bonding and Ray was kind of, you know, taking control of them, their minds. So he moved them to a one-bedroom apartment in the city, in New York City. And it wasn't even his apartment. It belonged to a business friend of his that he was renting. So they had lived there for over a year and he would control what they ate. He would control when they slept and he wanted their attention. He wanted money. He was putting them through forced labor and sometimes SEX acts from them. So one of the girls, he turned into um, an escort for him and she had like a website and everything. Another of the girls was much younger than him. So she was a college age girl. He called his wife. There was a boy, Santos, who was dating his daughter, Talia. And this is the weird part. So they're all living in this apartment in the city in the summer of 2010. And Talia and Santos broke up. And you would think that Talia, who loved her father so much, would have stayed in the one bedroom. But Santos did. And Talia went back to Sarah Lawrence, which makes me think that she was trying to recruit more people for him and his cult because she was kind of his soldier and she believed that her mother had abused her. But there was a four-year-old sister who, when she was asked if their mother abused them, the little girl laughed and said, that's what daddy tells us to say. But Talia was kind of brainwashed by him as well. So they're living in the city and then Santos introduces his younger sister and his older sister to Ray, who come into and become this cult. And the older sister, Felicia, was another, quote, wife of Larry Ray. And Felicia was actually in medical school in L.A. and ended up coming to New York based on the fact that she was afraid and thought people were out to kill her because of her association with Larry Ray. So he did a lot of mind tricks on them and we'll never quite know what they were. But he was forcing them to do labor for him and he would have them write out these long, long lists of property that they damaged or broke because they were trying to upset him and they would put price tags to it, $42,000, $65,000, all of these things. And he would threaten to hurt them, Ray, or their families if he didn't get this money. So the parents of Santos and his two sisters actually ended up selling their home and gave Larry Ray over $300,000 because of the threats. And, you know, none of these kids have any 
work history or anything. So he did quite a number on them. And there are so, so many articles. Like I said, The Cut, People, Time Magazine has an article and the Hulu documentary has an article and it's probably one of the best documentaries that I have seen because everyone is so raw and so honest and it's just something that, you know, we couldn't believe again that something would happen in Bronxville like this and that the school would allow a parent to take up residence, the parents not paying for themselves. You know, they're paying for the kid, for their dorm room and for their food and for their space in the classroom. Once an extra person starts living on the grounds of a school, especially one that's not a student, especially a parent in his 50s, a man, I can't believe that this didn't set off some kind of alarm bells and no one thought, yeah, we should really do something to get the kids out of there or to get him off of the, you know, off of the, the grounds, off of the campus. But the thing is also, all these kids are 18 plus. So what are you going to do? Even as a parent, you cannot tell your kid, no, you really can't live there unless you refuse to pay and you refuse to send them to school, they can make the decision for themselves where they want to live. So there was nothing they could do. You know, he actually ended up taking these kids to North Carolina to do some sort of like yard work, planting trees and things one summer. So this cult went on for years and years and years. And he really had such a grip on every aspect of their lives. So we were absolutely shocked when we heard, and really all we heard around Westchester was someone's parent, like someone's father was living in the dorms at Sarah Lawrence. And we just really all thought, how could that be? How could this possibly be that school is affluent and expensive and that town is, you know, for the most part, crime-free, except for, you know, the Avon murders, like I said, and there could be other things that go on there that I haven't heard of. But for the most part, the town is very, very safe. You can walk around at night with no problems. And, you know, there's always like visible police around. So it just makes me wonder if the school was negligent And I believe that they were in protecting these kids because a lot of the times we use 18 and over as an excuse for, well, they're an adult, but your mentality isn't. Your mentality is still that of in high school, which is why you can be so lost in college for the first year or two because you still feel like you're in high school, but it's way different, but you don't feel quite ready to be where you are. You're just there. You know, you're going forward with life because that's what you've got to do. And my advice to anyone out there is if you can avoid taking student loans, please, please avoid that because it's just going to tie you up in debt for the rest of your life. I'm telling you. So there's that. But the thing with this is it's just how easily 
it is to let kids slip through the cracks and ignore something that should have been a giant red flag. And there are kids now who are adults who have lost time, lost work history, lost getting their degree, their hopes and their dreams. And if you talk to anyone, not just people who have been in a cult, but anyone who's been in an abusive relationship, and I can speak from experience, you do feel like your life was stolen because you don't know what you did to deserve that kind of abuse when you'll look at your friend and go, well, how, how come we grew up the same, but now our lives are so different? There's a weird difference when you have bad things happen as a kid, whether it's abuse or some kind of trauma that goes on. It does stay with you, but for me, there was always like that hope. It'll get better when I'm an adult and I can make my own decisions. You know, I could put this all behind me. And those were always my thoughts. And it always made it easy to like leave those traumas behind. But when you're an adult, you're like, I made it, you know, I'm good. Like I, I've gotten this far in life and, you know, I'm, I'm going to keep going forward. And you never think that something is going to go wrong. But when you get abused and traumatized and, you know, you're in a cult mentality and even in an abusive cycle relationship, it's kind of a cult mentality because you know how you're supposed to behave to not get into those crazy, you know, rages that you'll get in or the your abuser will get into and you have to deal with let's put it that way so you kind of learn to modify your behaviors and it's not easy to like break out of but to have this happen at a college where the town is known to be safe and you thought that the administration was there to protect your kids to find out that this has happened is just, I think, horrifying and it is stolen. Your life gets stolen because you get caught up in that cycle and you lose precious time when you should be building your life and putting together the things that you want for yourself. So you have to watch this because the three siblings and their parents have been estranged for years and the parents speak, two of the three siblings speak and Larry Ray has his own footage that is in this documentary and it is quite shocking, some of it. So I'm encouraging you all to check out Time, People and The Cut and just so you know, people quotes the cut as its source. It's a really, really comprehensive and well-written article and it tells you everything and it just brings you into the story. And I think that everyone should know about this. And if you're thinking about going to college, think about the loans and your safety and where you want your life to go before you jump into college because that might not always be the best thing for everyone. And you don't always need a college education to have a great life and a good job. And that is my two cents. 
but I would take some online courses like business classes and, you know, the things that you're interested in to boost the things that you want to do, especially business classes, because you want to know how to manage money, you know, marketing, things like that. But again, if you can avoid student loans in any way and get your education elsewhere, I highly recommend or other wa- other ways, I would say, without the loans, highly, highly recommend that. But these poor kids, you know, it, like I said, it was just a shock, an absolute shock. And just check out Stolen Youth on Hulu and... Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Messy Closet. I'm Roseanne Carlo, and don't forget to keep art and keep love alive.